Well, good morning, everyone. It is truly good to see you. I am glad to be with you, and I hope you know that God is glad to be with you as well. That is a reality that we've been discussing throughout Romans. That's what grace means. Grace means that because of Jesus, God is always happy to see you. He is always glad to be with you. We've been fleshing that reality out, that because of Jesus, God is happy to be with us. And because of that, we should strive like we're happy to be with one another, right? And so we've been talking about through Romans 12 or Romans 14 and Romans 15 about how we can get along in church, how we can be happy, be glad to be with one another. And Wes last week told us the why, the why behind this. Why is it so important that we work hard to get along? Why is it so important that we work hard to stay united around Jesus and to accept those with whom we might disagree on disputable matters? Why is it so hard that we work so hard to, or why is it so, why is it so important that we work so hard to have fellowship with one another? And Wes reminded us that we do this because the witness of the church as to who Jesus is, is the hope of the world. The hope of the world is Jesus, but the hope of the world is displayed primarily through you all, through his church. And so it's vitally important that we, we show people that we know a God who is always glad to be with them. And we do that by learning how to get along with one another. You see, in a culture that has been more and more divided than ever, right? We have people, everyone is so divided. We're all divided. The unity that we share and show together as a congregation will help us become increasingly more attractive to our world. As Wes reminded us, he says, nobody looks at, oh, what did you say, the, the Church of First Conflict? Was that what it was? Yeah, the Church of First Conflict, right? No one looks at that group as they're squabbling and fighting and is like, oh, I want to know the God you worship, right? All right? I'd really love to be a part of your group. That looks fun. No one ever does that, right? So if we want to be effective in our witness, then we need to give people a reason to want to know Jesus. We've talked about Tim Keller a lot throughout this series. One of the reasons is I've been reading his commentary on Romans as I've been preaching through it. Uh, Romans for You by Tim Keller is what it's called. It's got a blue, blue thing. Keller's an awesome pastor, or was, I guess. He passed away two weeks ago. So I was writing this message uh, this week, and as I was, was writing it, a phrase that he said a long time ago, I don't know if I read it or I heard it in a sermon, but he, he used to say, Share the gospel and the good news of Jesus in such a way that makes people think, man, wouldn't that be great if it were true? Wouldn't that be great if it were true? And then show them through nature and reason and logic and the Bible that it is. That it is true. And so to start this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to start with a question that I think each and every one of us longs to be true. Our hearts craves for this to be true. So we'll start with this question. Do you feel chosen? Do you feel chosen? We've all been a part of that scenario out on the playground, right? Where you're picking teams in some capacity. Maybe you were the one who was picking, maybe the one being picked or not being picked. It's kind of a brutal life lesson for everyone, isn't it? For everybody involved, the person picking, if you have any sense of empathy, <laughs> it's hard. The, those that are waiting to be picked, the, the person that doesn't get picked, that just kind of gets absorbed onto the team because they're last, and it's like, well, I guess you're with us, right? It's a brutal life lesson. But it's not just the last to get picked that has to deal with hurt, right? If you're not picked first, you're picked later on down the line, you know you're not the best, you're somehow second class or second rate. 
These experiences mark us, don't they? They can be traumatic. And these experiences are, are relatively inconsequential when we compare them to how our parents treated us, whether we felt like we belonged in our family or not, how our coaches treated us, whether we felt like they actually wanted us on the team or the words that they spoke to us, whether it be parents or, or coaches or, or just some adult that we, we felt close to or connected to and, and they didn't always choose us or make us feel wanted or special. Church, the reality is it is impossible to go through this life without being hurt in some way. It's impossible. It's impossible to go through this life without being made to feel left out at times, without being made to feel less than or forgotten in some way or another. And so I want to start with this question this morning. In your heart, in the secret, quiet place of your soul, do you feel chosen? Not do you know that you've been chosen. Do you feel chosen? Do you feel special? Do you feel like you fit in somewhere or fit in with someone who matters? Or do you kind of just feel forgotten a lot of times? Underappreciated? Do you feel like a fraud? Like you're kind of second class, like you're a second-rate man or woman who, if you're honest, you don't, you don't have what it takes. Now, wouldn't it be nice to know that you're special? Wouldn't it be nice to know that you matter to someone important? Wouldn't it be amazing if this were true? Wouldn't it be amazing to know that someone important not only sees you and appreciates you, but has a plan and a purpose for you, one that you can feel proud of? Wouldn't it be amazing to know that there is someone always in your corner who has set their gaze upon you and said, this one, I'm going to be their cheerleader. I'm going to have their back. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be for them always and forever. This one, I am going to be glad to see this one always. When this one walks into the room, I'm going to have a smile on my face. I am going to light up because I have chosen this one. Wouldn't that be amazing? if we could have something like that. It would. And Romans 15, 8 through 22 tells us that in Jesus, you have it. You have it. If you're new to the faith, you might, might, you might not know this, and that's okay. If, but if, if you were to open your Bible, and if you were to even just begin to, to leaf through it, you would begin to see quickly that God, the God of the Bible, is a God who chooses. He's a God who chooses. He chooses the least likely. He chooses the less land, the less thans. He chooses the weak, and then he sets his affection on them in such a way that he makes those who are weak strong. He sets his affection and power on the weak in such a way that people look at them and they say, I don't know who your God is, but he is great, and he is gracious, and he is merciful. He sets his affection on those he chooses in such a way that he gets glory and we get joy. If you were to read in the scriptures, you would find and discover that early on in Genesis, we're told that God chose Abraham. He chose Abraham 
And he chose Abraham to make a nation for himself, to make a people for himself. They're called the Jews or the nation of Israel. They've never been a strong people or a large people. In fact, they've always been a very flawed people, a very weak people, and yet God chose them. He chose them to be the people that he would eventually be born into. They would be his great, great, great grandpas and grandmas, ancestors. Now, if you're not careful... When you're reading the story of Scripture and you find out that God has chosen a people, He's chosen the Jews, if you're not careful, you might start to feel a little bit left out. Because most of us in here, probably none of us, have a whole lot of Jewish heritage in our ancestry, right? We're not Jews by genetics. If you're not careful, you might start to think like a lot of Jews thought during the time of Jesus. That if you aren't Jewish, God can care less about you. You're not really that special. You're kind of just second class, kind of just tacked on. You might start to think that, and if you did, you would be mistaken. As we're about to read, we find and discover that Jesus didn't come only to choose the Jews. He came also to choose you and to choose me. The God of the Bible is not just the God of the Jews. No, he is the God of all creatures, Jew and Gentile, black and white. Man, woman, and child. In Jesus, you have been chosen. You've been chosen. Look with me at Romans 15, starting in verse 8. Paul says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, it's a quote from the Old Testament, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. You've been chosen. He continues, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we see that Paul reminds us that Christ Jesus came to choose the Jews and also to choose the Gentiles. He came so that the affection of God might be experienced by all peoples of every tribe and every nation. And now Paul is using this to highlight why it is that we should get along. Essentially he's saying, if there's no distinction in Jesus' mind, in God's mind, between the weak and strong, between black and white, between Democrat and Republican, if there's no distinction between peoples, if all peoples are valuable and have been chosen by him, then There shouldn't be any distinction among yourselves either. Everyone is valuable. All are special. And we should treat everyone as such. So Paul is using this to help solidify the point he's been making throughout Romans 14 and 15. Get along. Jesus shows us that we should all get along because everyone has value. And Paul goes on to point out this is not a new concept. He quotes four places in the Old Testament. This isn't a new idea. Jesus didn't come along and change who God was. This has always been who God was and is. He's had a plan to choose you, to choose Jews 
and Gentiles. And he quotes four times from the Old Testament. And things are going to plan. There's more we could say about how this is why we should work to get along, but we've kind of been beating that drum for a while. So I want, to make, I want to take us in a little bit different direction this morning. I want to show you what can happen in your life if you allow the reality of God's sovereign choice of you to capture your heart and your mind. In verses 8 through 13, we discover why God chooses us in and through Jesus. In verse 8, we're told that God's choice of you and the Jews through Jesus, it was made to confirm his promises. You see, the Bible is primarily a book of promises given to us weak and frail human beings. It's a promise that if we would return to God, he would choose us. And Jesus' life, death, and resurrection serves as the exclamation point to that truth and every other truth given to us in the scriptures. To quote 2 Corinthians 1.20, every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus. So Paul tells us that Jesus is the exclamation point on the truth of all and every one of God's promises. Jesus serves to highlight not only the truth, but also highlight the mercy and grace of God that exists for weak human beings. His life and his choice is meant to make us feel special. To point out to the world, look at how great and merciful this God is. He's true to his word, and he wants to choose you. You are special to him. Now let me ask you, do you feel special? Do you feel appreciated? Do you feel valued? Do you feel worthy? Do you feel chosen? Chances are, if you're honest, most days, no, right? Most days, it might even be an astounding no. Why would God choose you? Why would he choose me? The important people in my life don't even see me, don't even appreciate me. Why would, why would God? Why would God choose me after what I've done, after what I've said? Why would he choose me after what I've failed to do? Why would he choose me after I failed again when I told him I'd do better next time? And yet, church, God did choose us. He has chosen us. He does choose us in Jesus. Do you deserve it? Do I deserve it? Of course not. That's kind of the point. It's kind of the point. Look at verse 9. Why did God choose the Jews and the Gentiles? To highlight his mercy and his grace. We don't deserve it. That's the point. God's choice of you and I, of the Jews, it was confirmed in Jesus to help us all see that his promises are true and to highlight his mercy and grace. That's what verses 8 and 9 are all about. And now before we move on, Here's what God needs from you in light of this truth. You've been chosen. God's word is true. You've been chosen. You've been chosen to highlight his mercy and grace. Here's what God needs from you in light of this. Stop listening to the voice in your head that comes from your parents or that coach in your past. Stop listening to the voice of the great accuser, Satan, who runs a litany of reasons through your head why you don't deserve to be called a Christian. Tell that voice, those voices, tell them to shut up. 
Tell them to shut up and to take what they're saying to hell, where they came from. And embrace the truth which was confirmed by the death and resurrection of Christ. In Christ, you have been chosen. You are special. You are more valuable than you know. You are more loved than you could possibly ever begin to imagine. In Christ Jesus, there is always someone in your corner. There is always someone who wants to be with you. There is always someone who is happy to see you. Always. Always and forever. Grab a hold of that truth, church. Grab a hold of it. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, you've been chosen by God. Come on, turn to your neighbor, tell him you've been chosen by God. Turn to your other neighbor, tell him you're more valuable to God than Bezos' billions. You're so valuable. You're valuable. If you don't believe this, let me briefly remind you the lengths that God went to choose you. For one, God left heaven. He left heaven. He was there and he left. Church, Heaven was the greatest luxury-gated community ever known in the history of the universe, and he left. God left heaven to come to the ghetto of this world, not as a king or some powerful leader, as a peasant. He left heaven. He traded in ultimate glory and splendor for what? For a feeding trough in a studio apartment with dirt floors. Why? To choose you. And he he didn't just leave the most glorious place on earth to be praised. No, he came to this ghetto to be despised and rejected and ultimately murdered in the most brutal, brutal way that we humans have ever thought up. Crucifixion. Why? To choose you. And while his, his beaten body lie dead and buried in the grave... We're told that the God of life descended further still to the place of the dead. Why? To take the captives with him back up into heaven and to to declare once and for all to the demons that they have been defeated, that they have lost. He took a victory lap in hell to proclaim his victory. And then, church, we're told, as we sing, up from the grave he arose. Overcoming sin, Satan, and death once and for all. And he did all of this to choose you. He did it all to choose you. And if that were not enough, and sadly for many, it isn't. God's pursuit of us did not stop with Jesus. As Jesus ascended back into heaven... It says that he has made ambassadors. He has sent other men and women in his footsteps to continue to pursue you with the truth of who Jesus is. The truth that you have been chosen by God to remind us the lengths that God has went to to choose us. In our text this morning, we're reminded that he chose Paul to choose you. He chose Paul, a murdering terrorist who was serving Satan disguised as God. He chose Paul to preach the truth to you and I, to remind us that everything that God has said is true. It can be trusted that Jesus was who he claimed to be. He did what he claimed to do. And we're told that Paul, this terrorist who God transformed, Paul, God through Paul used signs and wonders to testify to the truth. He took a terrorist against Jesus And he turned him into someone who couldn't stop testifying about the goodness of Jesus. Why? To pursue you. To to choose 
you. And he has not, sent, he has not stopped sending people after you, after each and every one of us, through the preaching of his word, to remind us that in Christ you have been chosen. Friend, do you want to tell me that you don't feel chosen? You want to tell me that you feel second class? I get it. I've been there. Stop and contemplate the lengths that God has gone to to choose you for five minutes and tell me that your heart is not uniquely warmed to the reality that you are special, that you are worthy. Not because of what you do, not because of what you've done. And can we just say praise God for that, right? It's not about what I can do. It's not about our good looks, right? We can lose all of those things. No, God's affection, his choice of us has nothing to do with us. It's rooted in the reality that he says, I've chosen and I don't change. You've been chosen, church. You've been chosen. Well, come back with me for a little bit to that playground scenario. You're getting weight. You're, you're, you're waiting to get picked. Remember what it was like there to stand in that line. Wanting to get picked. Pick me first. Go back there. You remember. Not only did you want to get picked up towards the front, you also had a guy or a team you were hoping to get picked by, right? Yeah, why? Because we all want to win, right? Nobody wants to get, get picked by the losing team. It's why no NFL player in the draft wants to get picked to be on the Bears, right? Like, pass me over. It's for you, Brian. Grant. It's for you, Wes, right? Nobody, nobody wants to get picked for the Browns or the Bears, right? Pick me, pick me on the Packers. Nobody wants to get picked on a, on a losing team. No. We want to get picked on a winning team. Here's the truth. Not only have you been chosen in Christ, but you've been chosen by the winning team. And you've been chosen to serve as a star player on that team. Now, hang with me a bit. I'm going to show you how, how, how this comes in our next part of, of Romans 15. Paul says in verses 8 through 12 that God has chosen the Jews and Gentiles in Jesus. Everything's going to plan. He's confirming his promise. He's displaying his mercy and grace. And then Paul goes on, as, as you've been chosen, he says, let me tell you how this works itself out. You've been chosen so that you can trust the truth giver, grab a hold of that, embrace that, and know that as you're chosen, you will be empowered by a new spirit, by a new power that will give you hope and joy and peace and a purpose you can be proud of. I want you to be a star player on my team. I just want you to ride the bench. Look at it with me. Romans 15, starting in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may be that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God has given to me to be a pastor or minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me this priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He chose me, and then he made me a star player on the team. He gave me a, a purpose I can be proud of. Therefore, I'm proud. I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except for which Christ has accomplished through me. I'm not bragging about myself. I'm bragging about what God has done in and through me as he's called me to serve on his team. I'm bragging about what what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and what I've done and by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, again, at work through me. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. It's my purpose. So that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Because God's been putting me on a mission to go out and reach the lost. To help them get found. So in verses 8 through 12, we see that we've been chosen. And, and that when we embrace Christ's choice, we'll be filled with hope. We can start trusting the truth giver because his promises have been confirmed and we can, we can see the, the magnificence of his mercy and grace because we realize there's nothing in us that he would ever choose us and yet he did. Along with that, now that we've been chosen for Team Jesus, he says, I've given you new power that you might overflow with peace and joy and a new purpose that you can live out and be proud of on this team. He says this new power that I've given from the Holy Spirit in verses 14 and 15, he says this new power is best experienced in the context of community, right? He says, listen, I'm preaching to you through writing about the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminding you that as the Spirit fills you with knowledge, you can instruct one another. That's how the power of the Spirit's experienced, through you instructing one another, through you reminding one another of the truth. We need to be in community to experience this power, to live out our purpose on his team. He says not only will he fill us with hope and joy and peace, but he will also fill us with a renewed sense of purpose and power that we can feel proud of. That's best fleshed out in the context of community. And for Paul... We see how it gets worked out for Paul. It might not get worked out the same way for you. Paul's an example of what happens. You get a purpose. You get to be a star player on Team Jesus. Paul says essentially through verses 17 through 22, he says, I was picked. I didn't deserve it, but God picked me. And then he gave me this purpose. He made me a pioneering point guard for Jesus to go out on the frontiers and go after a people that have been despised and rejected since the beginning of history, the Gentiles. The people that everyone thought God wasn't chosen. He sent me to them to preach and remind them that in Jesus, you have been chosen. You are special. You are worthy. He said, that was, that was my calling. That was my mission. And God empowered me by the Spirit to, to not only understand the Word, but to preach it, and to have my preaching accompanied with signs and wonders so that it would be confirmed. That was, that's the purpose God gave me. Now understand, that might not be your purpose. If you've not read this book, I'll throw it up right here. It's called Gospel Patrons. Gospel Patrons. I can't go through it. It needs to be a whole sermon series in and of itself, right? But when you're, when you're enlisted to God's team... He's really got two star positions that you're going to play. One is the proclaimer, the preacher, the pioneering point guard, like Paul, right? You're up on the stage, you're preaching, you're teaching, you're out on the front lines. That's one, one star player. The other star player is a gospel patron. These are men and women, a lot of them like yourself, who have been empowered and equipped to be titans of industry, 
running forklifts out in the world, creating new things. Doctors, nurses, people putting soup cans together, right? People doing all of this stuff, rubbing shoulders with the lost so that they can make an income, so that they can, they can be rubbing shoulders with the lost, and they can come alongside of the proclaimers. You see, Satan wants to divide these two. He wants the, the patrons, those who aren't up on the platform preaching, to feel less than. He wants the preachers to get a big head, and he wants to keep us separate. You, if you read this book, you'll understand that behind every major movement of God, there was a gospel proclaimer, a preacher, which you know about. The John Wesleys, the John Calvins, the Martin Luthers. We've all heard about them. But behind each and every one of them were patrons. Men and women of business and industry that came alongside and served in the shadows, praying, supporting, financial, spiritual support, houses. I don't know what you've been called to, but I want you to know that if you're here this morning, you've been chosen, you've been empowered to be on Team Jesus, and you've been chosen to be a star player. Chances are it's either as a proclaimer or as a patron. And I invite you to do the work with the Holy Spirit to figure out what that is. If you would like more about it, pick up that book and read it. It's a good one. It's a good one. I'm back to my main point. Wouldn't it be amazing to feel chosen? To get picked to be on a winning team. One that will make your life count. That will give you a purpose. That will give you meaning that lasts not just for here, but into eternity. Wouldn't it be amazing to know that you matter to someone great, to someone important, and better yet, that he has a job for you to do that is vitally important? Wouldn't that be amazing if it were true? Folks, it is true. And all of it is found in and because of Jesus. He's chosen you. You matter to him. He has a place and a people for which you can belong. He has a position for you on his team and a purpose that he wants to assign to you that you will be proud of, that you can boast in. The only question is, have you embraced this truth? Have you embraced it? Do you know how to know whether or not you've embraced it? One question. What do you boast about? What are you boasting in? Building your own kingdom? Accumulating more stuff? Right? Filling your barns, your storehouses? Climbing the next rung on the career ladder? None of that is necessarily wrong in and of itself, but if that's all you're boasting in, that's a problem. Or do you boast about what God is doing through you by the power of His Spirit? in the context of community, to support and expand his kingdom? I'm not sure how you'll answer that question, but here's what I do know, and this is insanely good news. However you answer that question, it doesn't change the fact that God has chosen you in Christ to be on his team. Whether you feel kind of convicted about that or not, it doesn't change the fact that God has chosen you in Christ. Again, because it's not about what you do. Or how good you do it. It's about the fact that Christ has chosen you. And the sooner you and I learn to embrace this truth, the sooner you and I will be on the path to more hope, more joy, 
more peace and more purpose in our lives, empowered by his spirit, which again, works best in the context of community. You've been chosen. Live like it. Live like it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Lord Jesus, in a world where we often feel forgotten, underappreciated, left out, less than, it is very difficult to feel the truth that you love us, that we're special to you, that there's always a smile upon your face because of Jesus. Two things this morning. I pray, Father, firstly, that by the power of your Spirit, you would take that truth from our heads and sink it down deep into our hearts, that we might feel special to you. That we might feel worthwhile to you, not because of our performance or what we've done or haven't done, but because we know that your choice of us is based upon nothing more than your choice of us. You, you said, I, I choose you for no other reason than, than that's what your heart fancied. Would you help us grab a hold of that to rest in that? And Father, as we begin to, to wrap our minds and our hearts around that truth that we've been chosen, would you start to work out in us through the power of your Spirit, the fruits of salvation. Help us know our purpose. I pray that no one in here would feel less than for any reason based upon their purpose, Lord, whether it's, it's called to be a patron out in, in the workforce, behind the scenes, supporting, paying for, praying for the proclamation of the gospel whether it's the, the proclaimers, Lord, keep us humble. Pray, Father, that you would help us to know what star position you have for us on the team. Father, give us something to boast about. Help us in casual conversations to, to tell people, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus is doing in and through my life. Help us to feel chosen, Lord. Empower us with a renewed purpose for your glory, for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a final song together.